You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Week 15 edition of Falato on Football here on the Big Blue View Radio, SB Nation's great Giants platform. I am your host, Nicholas Falato, and we're going to dive in to the Sunday night football game, all right? Usually, we don't go over the Sunday night football game because I'm recording during it, but obviously, I ain't going to do that for the New York Giants. It's the team I watch. It's the team I write for. It's the team I cover. But it was a hard thing to watch. It's going to be a hard thing to cover because the Giants' offense, again, failed to put up seven points as they lose to the Cleveland Browns 20-6. And yes, you had some plays that were just aggressive calls that would have resulted in more points. The Giants had themselves in positions to score more points. But they went for it twice, in the 15-yard line on fourth down and did not pick up either. I don't mind the aggressiveness against this Cleveland Browns team. They could have put up a lot more than 20 points. Baker Mayfield was doing whatever he wanted through the area. 297 yards passing, two touchdowns. And you could tell Kevin Stefanski took his foot off the accelerator a little bit and allowed the Browns to just kind of run the clock out, especially after Joe Judge didn't have any timeouts down the stretch. And that challenge on the onside kick was, I don't know what he thought he saw there. But Joe Judge going for it, I don't like the play call. The execution was bad. You think you you may have an edge because you're a special teams coordinator. Maybe something you saw on film with the Cleveland Browns. It did not materialize. And having Nick Gates out there with your punter throwing a ball, it, it's, it didn't work. There's really no other way to kind of quantify it. I kind of wish they tried something maybe that would have had their offense out there, and that's kind of odd to say with Colt McCoy. I know you're trying to catch them, element of surprise type of thing, but you had a nice drive. You had a great kickoff return by Deion Lewis, who ends up fumbling a little bit later in the game. Just couldn't cash in. And then again, you're down there. I'm fine with you going for it with Wayne Gallman there. You need to be able to score touchdowns, but you just couldn't get it there. I can't knock the coaching staff. They were running the football effectively on that drive, and it just did not end up working out. Wayne Gallman finishes this game 9 for 29, not great on the ground. Didn't seem like there was all that much running room. Seemed like he was still falling forward, doing the stuff that Wayne Gallman consistently does, kind of week in and week out. But you couldn't really move the football. Cole McCoy actually did better than I expected. But you still can't push the ball vertically with someone like Colt McCoy. I value Colt McCoy's intelligence. I value what he can do pre-snap, post-snap, and getting his guys into the right position to succeed. I thought Chris Collinsworth did actually a really good job articulating that through the broadcast about how he can set the run up one way or the other and kind of get the defense in a disadvantageous situation. It's kind of the mental side of playing quarterback from pre-snap to post-snap, all those things that you don't necessarily just see. I think McCoy does that well, but if you can't push the ball vertically, they're just going to clamp down on your quick game and they're going to shut your run down. And that's basically what they did. McCoy he had a couple nice throws in the game. Back shoulder throw to Sterling Shepard. He had a couple other nice ones as well. But he also kind of 
just put a couple other ones right in the ground, short-armed a few, and obviously this isn't the backup quarterback that you really want if you want to compete because Daniel Jones is his second season and he's injured again, just like he was last year when the Giants had Eli Manning. And Eli filled in for those two games. Daniel Jones is kind of getting his bad track record here. But the Browns are a much superior team. Kevin Stefanski is an excellent play caller, and you can see it. I thought the defense played well in this game. They stopped what the Browns want to do, run the football. Nick Chubb, 15 for 50 in that one touchdown. It's 3.3 yards per carry. Kareem Hunt, 7 for 21, 3 yards per carry. But they just hit with the play action because without James Bradbury, you can't scheme your safeties to help protect Isaac Yidem. Instead, you have Julian Love, who hasn't played cornerback since his days at Notre Dame, and Isaac Yidem out there. So what the heck are you going to do? Your safeties can't be as exotic as you want them to to try to trap coverage and bait Baker Mayfield into making mistakes when you don't have James Bradbury out there. So basically, deep dig routes were open the entire game. Route concepts were manipulating the zone coverage. The Giants couldn't get pressure with the front four. So Baker Mayfield had all day to do whatever he wanted. And it seemed like every time he threw the football, it was completed. And it almost was. 27 of 32 for 297 yards and two touchdowns. And he was only sacked that one time by Dexter Lawrence. There were a couple times where Leonard Williams got close, but there's no pressure. There's no pressure here. Our pass rushers on the Giants are Carter Coughlin, a seventh-round pick out of Minnesota, who I like, but he's a seventh-round pick. Cam Brown, a dude who played linebacker at Penn State, sixth-round pick. Like him, but a sixth-round pick. Lorenzo Carter, gone. Kyler Fackrell, gone. Ocean Zimenez, gone. So what are the Giants left to do? And they just kept playing zone. You can't really play man coverage when you don't have the horses either. And their zone was just getting picked apart. And they have to respect the run. They have to. And I thought they did a good job doing that, but the trade-off from that, the catch-22, have you, was that the Browns were just going to pick them apart in the secondary, and that's exactly what they did. I'm excited to get into the All-22 to see what the safeties were doing back there, to see how Adrian Colbert played, to see what Patrick Graham was doing with Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan. Because when you have someone like James Bradbury, you could scheme that other side of the defense to kind of help that coverage because you know you're pretty solid with Bradbury. But that doesn't necessarily happen when you don't have him out there because his chiropractor got COVID and he was there and now he's a close contact. But that's the nature of 2020. You have to be prepared for these things. Giants don't have the horses without a player like that. And the Browns, they're clicking. Last two games, they scored over 40 points. Giants held them to 20. Could have been a lot worse, but the Giants offense didn't put up a fight. So Stefanski stopped really pressing his foot down hard there. Didn't see Nick Chubb that much after the touchdown. Kareem Hunt ended up walking off, and then you saw Dearness Johnson on the field, and they weren't throwing a lot of passes. So they didn't have to, because they had to win at that point. Let's just get the win and get out, was their mentality. Don't suffer any bad injuries. Because Cleveland is playing this game without their star guard, Wyatt Taylor, who's arguably the best guard in the NFL in 2020. J.C. Treader, their center, he was injured as well. Was playing through it, but was injured. And they're just a better football team right now than the Giants. They're a better version of what the Giants want to be. Run the football, work the play action. I think they do a much better job moving the pocket with those naked boots and stuff like that. Jason Garrett implements that every now and again, but not as much as you probably can with someone like Daniel Jones. Granted, 
There have been a lot of times when they try to run it. Daniel Jones and the offense never really hit for many big plays. That outside zone, though, that wide zone, that Stefanski runs. Nick Chubb's a perfect running back for that, and the Giants didn't really get get beat on those types of plays. But what you can work off of that, the play-action game, and just the passing game in general, because you have to respect the run, was definitely something the Giants struggled with defensively. And offensively, look, Cole McCoy was only sacked once, and that was at the end of the game by Miles Garrett around Andrew Thomas. And he dropped back to throw 31 times, so it wasn't like the game against Seattle where he didn't really have to drop back that much. They were throwing the football. And I thought the Giants, when they punted in the third quarter, thought maybe at that point when it was 13-3, to you maybe go for it there, try to get a spark. I think it was a fourth and four or a fourth and six. It wasn't anything too ridiculous. But they decided to punt the football. They were really aggressive in the first half. It didn't work. They got a little bit conservative in the second half. And you can't really do that. Not against this Cleveland Browns team. Not with Colt McCoy as your quarterback. And not with your defense giving up huge chunk yardage plays basically all game. But that's the nature of doing business when you're playing a superior football team and your football team is very injured. Because it was. You didn't have your starting quarterback. You didn't have your star corner. You have no edge rushers because they're all on IR. I'm not trying to make excuses. But Cleveland right now, roster, top down, better. Play caller, definitely better. And I thought Freddie Kitchens actually did a solid job early on with Colt McCoy moving the football, trying to push the ball vertically. Had that nice back shoulder throw to Sterling Shepard. Had another throw to Sterling Shepard where his stem leaned inside, he broke outside, and he totally separated from the zone coverage. It's also funny to see Colt McCoy attack Denzel Ward a lot. Probably didn't want to see that as often. If he's on Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton, doesn't matter. I don't really want to throw that direction because he's really good and everybody else in that Brown secondary is hashtag not that great. Also saw Evan Ingram doing his clap type of catch attempt that he always does. He always just kind of comes in on the football and tries to clap it together. It's a very awkward look. Finished the game 4 for 46. Had 7 targets though. Darius Slayton at 9, dropped 1. 4 for 74. Sterling Shepard 7 targets, 4 for 51. Nick Gates had that one target too. Let's not forget about that. But the Giants lost to a better football team, a playoff-bound team, and the Giants are now in a pretty bleak spot. Dallas won, Philadelphia just lost, and the Washington football team lost as well. But the Giants got Baltimore in Baltimore next week. Not pretty. Not pretty at all. Then they have Dallas at MetLife in Week 17. Dallas winning this week puts them at 5-9, and nine, and they play Philadelphia next week, who are 4-9-1. and one. So the Giants basically need to win that game against Baltimore, which is going to be very, very difficult. Washington's sitting there at 6-8 and eight right now, a full game ahead of the New York Giants, although the Giants do possess the tiebreaker. But say the Cowboys and Eagles, say the Eagles end up beating the Cowboys, they're going to be 5-9-1, and one, and the Giants are going to be 5-10 and 10 if they don't beat Baltimore. And then you got to look at Washington, who has Carolina next week. Very winnable game. And then they have the Eagles in Week 17. So how do we want this to kind of work out with these teams? The Eagles end up winning this week. The Giants lose. The Eagles are going to be ahead of the Giants now. The Cowboys would be tied with the Giants. Washington loses. They're still going to be a game ahead of the Giants and Cowboys. And then Washington has to play the Eagles. 
So you have to hope that Dallas wins and they go to the same record as the Giants and the Giants get them in Week 17. And Washington just loses these next two games. That would be ideal. But Philly ends up winning against Dallas and then they end up beating Washington, which is something that the Giants fans would need if the Giants can't beat Baltimore. Then Philly ends up winning this division. It does not look likely that the Giants can win this division. Even if they had a healthy Daniel Jones, or they had two James Bradberries, it just seems like it might be an unlikely proposition at this point. They need a lot of things to break their way. They need Carolina to step up against Washington. They need to step up against Baltimore. And then whatever happens with the Cowboys and the Eagles, let it happen. It's damn unfortunate right now, especially because the Cowboys are up on the Giants as of right now in the division because they have that tiebreak. But the Giants... They're going to need to win Week 17. They would need that to make the playoffs. That's obviously apparent at this point since the 49ers blew the game against Dallas Cowboys. All right, before we dive into the rest, these brief overviews of the rest of the games, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Then we have this AFC West battle where the Miami Dolphins, the 9-5 and five Miami Dolphins, eliminate the New England Patriots' chances, which were virtually eliminated anyways, but they eliminate officially their chances to make the playoffs by defeating them in South Beach 22-12 to 12 on the back of Salvin Ahmad, 23 carries for 122 yards and one touchdown, and the legs of Tua Tungavailoa, who had two touchdowns on the ground, did some stuff through the air, 20 of 26, incredibly efficient, for only 145 yards, and then one interception when he was getting basically hit and the ball fluttered up in the air, and the Patriots intercepted it. As for the Patriots, Cam Newton, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 209 yards passing, Sony Michelle, 10 carries, 74 yards, but this was basically just a battle of two defenses between the 20s, none of these offenses could really get anything going on the ground. Kobe Myers did have seven catches for 111 yards on 10 targets, which is very efficient. It's very effective, but it wasn't enough against this Miami Dolphins secondary that consists of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard and studs like that. Now the Miami Dolphins putting themselves in prime position to get one of those wild card spots as the Buffalo Bills continue to lead that division and secure that division for the AFC South for the first time in many years because the New England Patriots as many of you know have been in control of this division handily also in this Miami Dolphins game 
It wasn't just Alvin Ahmad. It was Matt Breida as well, 12 of 86, somebody who the Miami Dolphins signed in the beginning of the year, and then we never saw him, barely ever played. Because he was injured, he ended up on the COVID list, but now he finally got his run, and he was able to average 7.2 yards per carry. So that's definitely something that you want from the former Kyle Shanahan back out there in San Francisco. We had the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars go to the Baltimore Ravens and lose terribly. The Jaguars who, as you guys will find out, are now in control of the first spot in the draft because the New York Jets defeated the Rams, which is a game we'll go over a little bit later. And <laughs> the Rams, wow. Talk about being unprepared for a game after 10 days of rest because they played on Thursday Night Football. Inexcusable, Sean McVay. Pathetic. Anyways, these Ravens defeat the Jags 40-14. to And really, it was just this rushing attack. J.K. Dobbins, 14-64 of for one. Lamar Jackson had a touchdown on the ground as well. Gus Edwards, 9-42. of Lamar Jackson, who was using his legs effectively, also threw three touchdowns. One to Mark Andrews, one to Des Bryant, one to Miles Boinkin, but they were just kind of running all over the Jaguars. They couldn't really do anything or cover any of these guys all that well. Marquise Brown had 98 yards receiving on six catches, seven targets. Mark Andrews, five for 66 on five targets. And Lamar just spread the ball around, and the Ravens' defense was all over Gardner Minshew. He was sacked five times. Minch ended up throwing 22 of 29, which is actually pretty solid for 226 yards and two touchdowns. One was to James Robinson. The other was to Chris Connolly in incredible garbage time. Jags never really had a chance in this game. Baltimore jumped out to a quick 26 to nothing lead by the time halftime rolled around, and the Jags scored two garbage touchdowns in the third and the fourth quarter to kind of keep this somewhat entertaining but not in the sense of the Jaguars having any kind of chance of winning this game because they legit had absolutely no chance. We actually saw Tyler Huntley, the backup quarterback, because remember, Chase McSorley is out and RG3 is out. Tyler Huntley came in, and he ran a little zone read up the middle, and it looked almost as fast as Lamar Jackson. It was pretty darn impressive from the backup. So that was kind of a little interesting thing that ended up happening for the Baltimore Ravens. Speaking of other AFC South teams, the Tennessee Titans hosted the Detroit Lions with Matt Stafford, who ended up leaving the game very late, so Chase Daniel did end up getting in, but remember, Matt Stafford was going to miss this game by all accounts, and he ended up gutting it out and playing in this game with his rib and back injuries. Threw for 252 yards, had a touchdown, there was no Kenny Galladay on the field, touchdown went to Marvin Jones, who again had 10 catches, 112 yards on 12 targets. But in the end, it was Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill had two rushing touchdowns, three throwing touchdowns, 273 yards, 21 of 27. Derrick Henry, 24 of 147 with one touchdown on the ground as well. Corey Davis had a long 75-yard touchdown. He finished four for 110, six targets. Johnny Smith had a really good game, five targets, five catches, 52 yards. A.J. Brown, five for 44 and one. His, his touchdown was one of the... Three touchdowns that were scored in the fourth quarter late in the game. Ryan Tannehill just ended up piling on points on top of Detroit, who made this game somewhat interesting. I mean, it was 24-15 to going into halftime, and then Detroit kicked a field goal, and then third quarter, Tennessee didn't do anything offensively. But in the fourth quarter, Tennessee just dialed it on. Tannehill ran one in, threw one to A.J. Brown, threw one to Darrington Evans, and it was just kind of lights out for the Detroit Lions, who... Had some relevant fantasy players. I mean, DeAndre Swift had four catches for 15 yards, 15 carries for 67 yards, two touchdowns. Marvin Jones had his really nice day. Quintess Cephas came up with one big 
yard catch that was impressive just to see from the young rookie out of Wisconsin. So it was a it was a game where if you owned pieces of this in your fantasy playoffs, you probably came away happy, especially if that was Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, or Corey Davis, DeAndre Swift, Marvin Jones. So that's kind of a decent amount of players right there that you are delighted to have on your fantasy roster. Speaking of another AFC South team, now we just went through the entire AFC South, the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans, two of them. Colts hosted the Texans. Colts won the game 27-20 in a game that looked like it was going to be a blowout early on. Indianapolis was up 14-0, but Houston had a strong second quarter, scored 10 points, went into halftime 14-10, and then they tied it up in the third quarter, but Indianapolis late in the game ended up pulling away to Secure this W. Zach Pascal catching two touchdowns, five for 79 on six targets. One of those touchdowns was the go-ahead touchdown at the end of the game. Jonathan Taylor had a solid outing. Gets a poor run defense, 16 carries for 83 yards and one touchdown. Phillip Rivers, 228 yards, two touchdowns, was only sacked once. Completed 22 of 28 passing. Very, very effective. Then on the other side of the ball, Deshaun Watson threw for 373 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 33 of 41 connecting with Chad Hansen and Kiki Kuti for a touchdown. And if you watch the game, the Houston Texans late in the fourth quarter were driving down the field and Watson found Kuti over the middle of the field. Kuti reached to go into the end zone and at about the one yard line, Darius Leonard punches the ball out. Indianapolis recovers the ball, drives down the field, scores the go-ahead touchdown, wins the football game. So it's kind of one of those games where the Texans made it really close. They had a legit shot, but you have to execute ball security. That goes back to day one training camp type stuff, and Kiki Kuti could not do that. Who finished with a solid day? He had seven targets, five for 53, one touchdown. Chad Hansen, three targets, two for 55, one touchdown. Brandon Cook, seven Targets, six catches for 59 yards. David Johnson actually had 11 targets, caught all 11 for 106 yards. It was checked down city over there in Indianapolis. And Johnson couldn't really do anything on the ground, so it was just kind of running through the air. And Deshaun Watson was able to do that, especially because the Colts took that early lead to allow Deshaun to just keep passing and passing and passing. And as for Indianapolis, they spread the ball around to a lot of different players. But T.Y. Hilton, who always smashes in this matchup, finished 4 for 71 with a 41-yard long but he didn't really do anything other than that. He didn't finish with his touchdown, two touchdowns, three touchdowns, like he does sometimes against the Indianapolis Colts. But by all accounts, it's still a solid game. It's something that you're going to take. It's just not what you may have expected in the fantasy playoffs. Now let's stay within the New York Giants division, the NFC East, where the Dallas Cowboys hosted the San Francisco 49ers, beat them 41-33. This Nick Mullins-led team, watching Nick Mullins play football really irritates me. I was hoping we would see C.J. Beathard, and we ended up seeing him because Nick Mullins suffered an elbow injury when one of the Dallas pass rushers ended up coming in and hitting his elbow as he threw the football. Nick Mullins finished this game 21 of 36, 219, two touchdowns, two very ill-advised interceptions. The guy is a turnover machine. He's always fumbling in the pocket, and C.J. Beathard should be the starting quarterback of this team. Mullins has proven that he cannot do it, and now it's affecting the Giants because Dallas Cowboys now go to 5-9 and nine on the season. Now, Week 17 game could be interesting, but we'll see. And this game was kind of odd at the end. C.J. Beathard came in. He ended up throwing a long touchdown passes as the seconds wound down. Kendrick Bourne ends up catching this pass, and San Francisco lined up for an onside kick because now it's a very close game. And if they recover it, possibly kick a field goal they could win they kick the onside kick cd lamb collects the onside kick and runs it in for a touchdown so the cowboys go up 41 to 33 and win this football game 
and <laughs> CeeDee Lamb, if you went up against him in the fantasy playoffs, you probably were very, very upset. But the 49ers couldn't really do anything. Brendan Ayuk did have 13 targets, caught 9 of them for 73 and a touchdown, which is a good game. You would expect that. Raheem Mostert finished 14 of 68. Jeff Wilson Jr., 16 of 60 and one touchdown. But it was really the Tony Pollard show. Ezekiel Elliott did not play in this game. He was ruled out with a calf injury, and Tony Pollard had 12 carries for 69 yards and two touchdowns while adding six receptions on nine targets for 63 yards. He was doing work all over the field against this San Francisco defense that's beat up, it's injured, and it's just not good anymore. Andy Dalton, 19 of 33 for 209 and two touchdowns, one to Michael Gallup, one to Dalton Schultz, and the Cowboys are still well in this playoff pitcher for the NFC East, the pathetic NFC East, and San Francisco did the Giants no favors by going into Jerry World and absolutely laying an egg against a pretty subpar Dallas team. Yes, I'm not a fan of the San Francisco 49ers today, if you could not tell. Let's turn it over to another team the Giants are vying for playoff position against, and that is the Washington football team at home against the Seattle Seahawks, where the Washington football team lost 20-15 to in a Dwayne Haskins start, where he went 38 completions, 55 attempts, for 295 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. It was check down city for Mr. Dwayne Haskins. A lot of check downs to Logan Thomas. A lot of check downs to Terry McLaurin. A lot of check downs to J.D. McKissick. All had double-digit targets in this game. Logan Thomas, 13 for 101. Terry McLaurin, 7 for 77. J.D. McKissick, 9 for 56 and 1 touchdown. They couldn't really get much going on the ground. Peyton Barber had a whopping 4 carries for 5 yards. Ended up falling in the end zone, so if you played against them in fantasy, you're still probably pretty upset about that. And as for the Seattle Seahawks, they controlled the game defensively, sacking Dwayne Haskins four times, forcing those two interceptions. But they allowed Washington to crawl back into this game, and Washington, who only had three points through the first three quarters, scored 12 points in the fourth quarter to make this an intriguing game. But Seattle ends up prevailing in the end. They had... Not a prolific offense. DK Metcalf, six targets, five for 43. Tyler Lockett, seven, four for 34. And outside that, everybody had sub three completions on the day. And Seattle Seahawks are now in the lead of the NFC West because (laughs) the Rams, ooh, wow. Yeah, we'll talk about them a little later. But the Rams end up blowing it against the Jets. So the Seattle Seahawks, it came down to that 14-play drive where Dwayne Haskins was methodically moving the football down the field, and they got put into a 4th and 24 after two consecutive sacks by the Seattle Seahawks. And obviously, there was no way, very little chance, you could say, that you're going to complete a 4th and 24 at the 37-yard line. It would take a really big play by Haskins and the rest of the playmakers for Washington, so Seattle ends up getting this win. Then we have the Chicago Bears going to the Minnesota Vikings in an NFC North battle, and the Bears win this game 33-27 to on the back of David Montgomery, who had 146 rushing yards and two touchdowns, who's just basically winning people fantasy leagues at this point. Mitch Trubisky had one throwing touchdown, 202 yards, also threw a pick at like the four-yard line, which was really, really bad, and kind of let the Minnesota Vikings really make this game very, very close because... Halftime it was 20 to 13, and Minnesota came out in the third quarter and put 10 on the board, making the Chicago Bears sweat. But the Bears are now seven and seven after starting five and one. And they obviously had a really rough patch 
in October and November, but they're building a couple wins now with Mitch Trubisky back at the helm. He didn't do all that much in this game, but he didn't really have to because of that rushing attack by David Montgomery. Dalvin Cook also had a really good game, 24 carries, 132 yards, and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson, 8 for 104 on 11 targets, had a wide-open touchdown, which is going around Twitter right now. Kirk Cousins was late to pull the trigger, and you can hear Justin Jefferson getting up and kind of cursing at Kirk Cousins, so that's definitely not a good look. Kind of reminds us of what happened with Stephon Diggs when he was there, but he seems really happy right now up in Buffalo. Why would you not be? Josh Allen is playing at an elite level, which is something that I didn't feel like I would ever say. But good for Josh Allen, good for Brian Dayball, and those Buffalo Bills. In this game, Minnesota had over 400 yards of offense. Chicago was just shy with 397 yards, so it was an offensive battle in the NFC North, which is not something you typically see from these two teams. They're very defensive teams. Going back for the last five years, they basically always hit the under. They did not here. They hit the over. They were well over. And the Chicago Bears try to just derail the Minnesota Vikings, and now they have a better record than the Vikings, as the Bears are 7-7, and and the Vikings are 6-8. and And then we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning in Atlanta 31-27 after going down 24-7 in the third quarter. Tampa Bay didn't score anything in the first half. They scored 21 points in the third quarter. Their defense stepped up in the fourth quarter, shut down Matt Ryan, who was throwing the ball all over the yard all game, really. Had three touchdowns, 356 yards. No one could stop Calvin Ridley. 10 catches for 163 yards on 14 targets and a touchdown. Russell Gage, 10 targets, 5 for 68 and a touchdown. Hayden Hurst had a touchdown in this game. There was basically no rushing attack from either, although Leonard Fournette did fall into the end zone twice, 14 carries, 49 yards. Not abysmal, but nothing to write home about, but it was all in the arms of both these quarterbacks. Tom Brady, 31 of 45 for 390 yards and two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mike Evans definitely hit a stride here, seven targets, six receptions for 110 yards. Antonio Brown, seven targets, five receptions for 93 yards and a touchdown. And then Chris Godwin, five targets, four for 36 and a touchdown as well. But this is just another long line of the Atlanta Falcons blowing leads. If you can go back the last six years, there are plenty. And obviously the 28-3 in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady comes to mind. And Tom Brady facing these same Atlanta Falcons, different coordinators, different head coach, but still the Atlanta Falcons, still Matt Ryan, is able to do it again in a game where the Atlanta Falcons fall to 4-10, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers improve their stock as one of the top wildcard contenders in the NFC right now, especially with teams like the Rams just blowing it out of their behinds, as we've seen. Now, Giants fans, this is where it gets a little concerning because Jalen Hurts... My, my, this individual looks really, really good. Throwing with anticipation, using his legs, being incredibly courageous with the football, yet judicious at the same time. Goes into Arizona, the team, and just beat up the Giants offense so badly. And he went 24-44 of for 338 yards and three touchdowns. Yikes. Scary. Also added 11 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Hurts looks like the real deal. And if this kid was starting all year, who knows where this offense and this team would be. But they end up losing this game 33-26 to because DeAndre Hopkins comes down with a touchdown, a go-ahead touchdown, late in the fourth quarter, and the Eagles could not mount the drive they needed. Although Hurts did put a touchdown pass into the gut of Dallas Goddard, and he ends up dropping it, of course, which led to this Arizona Cardinals victory. And they are... Now mounting wins. They have two. 
against the NFC East opponents. Kyler Murray, 27 of 36 for 406 yards, three touchdowns and an interception, added eight for 29 on the ground with a touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins, 11 targets, nine for 169 and a touchdown. And then everybody else basically got the football for Arizona. Dan Arnold, Max Williams, Keyshawn Johnson, not that Keyshawn, Larry Fitzgerald, Ezekiel Turner, Christian Kirk, Darrell Daniels, Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds, all got receptions. Kyler Murray was just spreading the ball around to everybody. And as for the Philadelphia Eagles, it was mainly Dallas Goddard and Jalen Rager. But they also spread the ball to Quez Watkins, who had a really nice touchdown run after the catch. And Greg Ward, who also had two touchdowns, just didn't really do much after that. Four catches for 15 yards, had those two touchdowns, but they were big two touchdowns. Very nice throws from Jalen Hurts as well who is very concerning that he's in the NFC East and looking this good right now. Miles Sanders, solid on the ground, 17 for 64, but the Arizona Cardinals were kind of clamping down on him, and we also saw a Andy Lee throw, who was the punter for the Arizona Cardinals. They went for it on fourth down in their own territory, and Andy Lee ends up throwing the football and finding Ezekiel Turner open for that catch. I believe it was Ezekiel Turner. So that was a big play by Andy Lee. It was a big play by the special teams by Cliff Kingsbury to call that play because if you don't get it there, it was, I think in early fourth quarter, giving Philadelphia the ball right back. And Philadelphia kind of stopped scoring points in the fourth quarter, didn't have any. They scored six points in the third, but they had a monster second. I know they got off to a really slow start as well. But if you give the football back to Philly, this so we'd be looking at a 5-8-1 Philadelphia Eagles. And at this point, you look at the Giants. I mean, what they did on Sunday Night Football, who knows who's going to win this division? It looks, I mean, with Jalen Hurts playing this way, I would put my money on Philadelphia. The Giants are not looking great. I don't think Dwayne Haskins has it. And the Cowboys, I mean, it's going to be a pivotal Week 16 matchup with Philadelphia and Dallas next week. Something to definitely watch in this wasted division. Then we have the Chiefs. And the Saints. This was another really good game where did not start out with a lot of fireworks. I mean, it ended 32-29. It's a nice high-scoring game. But this game was 14-9 going into halftime with Kansas City. We saw a nice, weird shovel pass touchdown to Travis Kelsey in this game. He finished 12 targets, 8 catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill had a touchdown, 10 for 6, 53. Miko Harmon, 9 for 3, 22, and 1 touchdown. Clyde Edwards-Alaire left this game with an injury. Definitely something to monitor. It did not look great. He finished 14 carries for 79 yards. Le'Veon Bell ended up getting a touchdown in this game, 15 for 62. And then Pat Mahomes, 254 yards, 3 touchdowns through the air. And Drew Brees coming back, wearing that protective shirt to help protect the what is it, 11 broken ribs? <laughs> Fractured ribs, I guess I should say. Now they're a little bit better, I guess. But he went 15-34, 234 yards, three touchdowns at a pick. Alvin Kamara, 11 for 54 on the ground. Taysom Hill had a rushing touchdown where he just ran over a Chiefs defender. Alvin Kamara had six targets on this game, one receiving touchdown, which was incredible because he's Alvin Kamara. 21-yard receiving touchdown where you thought he went down like three times and he never did because he just squeaks through things and he has incredible balance along the sidelines to just walk right past the pylon and in. And New Orleans spread the ball out. Traquan Smith ended up leaving this game with an injury. Michael Thomas wasn't active for this game. Is it on the IR right now? Saints are definitely going to be missing him, but now the Saints are 10-4 and to the Packers' delight, of course. And the Kansas City Chiefs 
13 and 1. They're going to be watching to see what happens on Monday Night Football as those <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals get to take on host the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is not something that is probably going to go well for the Bengals and the Chiefs because the Chiefs definitely want the Bengals to pull off that upset. But division games are division games, right? The Saints, good effort here. We're able to hold Patrick Mahomes, keep this game within reach. Didn't allow the Chiefs to just blow up. And they didn't blow up offensively. They ended up scoring 32 points. But they were able to hold the Chiefs to a score per quarter until the fourth. And if you take that with the Chiefs, you're probably going to sign up for it. And then we have the final game we're going to go over. The New York Jets defeating the Los Angeles Rams. Yes, that's right. The 17.5 point favored Rams at home lost to a winless New York Jets team and now the Jets hold the second overall pick in the 2021 draft giving the Jacksonville Jaguars the first overall pick how crazy is that the Trevor Lawrence Express may be going down to Florida and not to New York which is probably good for Giants fans we don't want to hear Jet fans going off about how they have the next John Elway Andrew Luck and all that but wow talk about the Grinch stole Christmas Adam Gase Winning this game, this meaningless game, might have just stolen 20 years of Trevor Lawrence in New York. For all we know, who knows how it's going to work out? We don't. But my, my. Jet fans, I have a lot of Jet fan friends, and they are very, very displeased right now with this victory. A lot of them do not have kind words about Sean McVay. But you got to credit how hard these Jets players played. They're not playing for a draft pick. They could care less. Obviously, why would they give a crap? They might not be on the team next year. They're trying to put good tape on there. And it was obvious the Los Angeles Rams, with 10 days of rest, mind you, because they play on Thursday night football where they throttle the Patriots, did not take the Jets seriously whatsoever. It's an indictment on Sean McVay. He had a poor game plan out there. They got punched in the mouth. Jared Goff had no response. And I'll give him credit. At a halftime, they responded a little bit. Were able to score a touchdown, led down the field by Jared Goff, Cam Akers a little bit found Robert Woods in the end zone. And then Tyler Higby ended up getting a receiving touchdown a little bit later in the game as well. The Rams scored 10 points in the fourth quarter, and the Rams were in field goal range with Matt Gay as their kicker, and they decided to go for it on fourth down and threw a deep vertical to Gerald Everett instead of kicking that field goal. And then the Jets basically just had to run the clock down to the two-minute warning, pick up a first down, ice it. And that's exactly what they did. The Rams are in the running for the division for the NFC West with Seattle. And they gave this up. And now they like, dropped to a wild card spot. Good. They deserve it. Because they weren't prepared. They You never take a team lightly in the NFL. These are professionals. Even Adam Gase, don't take them lightly. You took them lightly. There's no, in no world, that this should happen. Other than the fact that it's in the NFL. 17 and a half point favorites. At home, you're a playoff-bound team, a very well-coached team, a team with one of the best defenses, and you just allowed the worst offense in the league to punch you in the mouth, and you couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> frauds, man. Frauds. The Rams are frauds. Good for the Jets, though. Well, not really, because now they don't get Trevor Lawrence, which is abysmal. Frank Gore. Wow. 23 carries, 59 yards. Touchdown had that game-sealing first down on a catch by Sam Darnold. And I don't even know if the Rams' defense showed up in this game. 
They were allowing Frank Gore to pick up chunk yardage, which is fine. Five yards here, six yards here. And then they would allow those little dump-off passes to Jameson Crowder or Ty Johnson coming out of the backfield or Denzel Mims. Brashad Perriman had a nice 21-yard catch. Wow, if I was a Rams fan, whew, I'd be a little upset with how unprepared my team looked and I just allowed this Adam Gase-coached hapless team to come into my building and punch me in the mouth like that. Rams, they do no ramming here. They didn't do any ramming, but the Jets soared, and that's not necessarily a great thing for the longevity of their organization, but we'll see how it all works out. Anyways, guys, this is Falado on Football, week 15. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast on the Big Blue View Radio Network. Hope you guys have a great day. Take care. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.